welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Orange Crest Community Church. My name is Pastor Josh De La Rosa. Today, we're beginning a new series of messages called Peeled. And so this week and over the next couple of months, actually, we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit described in the Bible. And fruit, as you know, it's developed from a seed that you plant in the ground. The seed is buried, and then over time it's transformed into a tree and, or a plant, and then fruit grows on it. Once the plant is grown and mature, fruit is really the natural byproduct. This is a, a lemon. This is from our lemon tree. It's about a five-year-old tree. It's the best tree we've ever had. And we've had some trees that have not done well. Uh, behind us is is an apple tree, and it's the last two years it's produced more and more apples. It's growing. It's great. The tree behind it, we've never experienced any fruit on it. We've got some new trees that I'm looking forward to seeing what is produced to see if someday we'll have pomegranates and uh, Washington navels, uh, Asian pears. But you know that fruit is not grown overnight. It takes time. And in the same way, the fruit of our lives is not just developed overnight. It's planted, then it's cultivated, and it's grown over a period of time. Now, all of us develop fruit. It's from the choices that we make in life. The question is really, of what kind of fruit are we producing? If, if your life was like a piece of fruit, then if you peeled it back, would the fruit be sweet or would it be sour? Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now the fruit comes from the Holy Spirit, which is why these qualities are called the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God that takes residence inside the person who's decided to attach their life to Jesus. Now Jesus said of himself, he said, I am the vine, and he told his followers, you are the branches. If a person remains in me, and I remain in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we grow and we change by following Jesus and walking closely with him. Change is not like going to the store and buying fruit. It would be great if it was. If I just wanted change to come, I'd go buy some change. But instead, change in our life is more like growing fruit. It takes time. Now, the very first step is to attach your life to Jesus. And we're going to focus in this series on how to develop the fruit of the Spirit we're going to look at a different piece of fruit each week, and so I can't wait to dive into this amazing fruit basket that we find in the Bible. And this morning's message is going to be presented by Pastor John McWhorter. He's one of our associate pastors. And through this series, uh, other associate pastors from OCC, and then also some of my friends are going to be helping to share in this series. And so thanks for joining us, and let's listen in this morning. Hey, good morning. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at OCC, and uh, my normal role is over church operations and some other things. But this morning, I'm honored to share this message with you. Uh, like Josh said, we're starting a new message series. It's called Peeled. And the key question that we're asking is, if your life were like a piece of fruit, uh, what would it be like on the inside? Would it be sweet or sour? Uh, would it be bitter or refreshing? Now, don't answer right now out loud, and especially don't answer uh, for the person next to you. Um, but just think about that. Think about your life. Um, we're talking about this 
uh, growing the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Um, God gave us uh, uh, his spirit. And along with that comes the opportunity to grow in all of these kinds of fruit. Um, look at Galatians 5, 22. Uh, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's an amazing basket of fruit. Uh, and wouldn't you love to work with people that are characterized by that? And wouldn't you love to live with people that are characterized by that? And actually, wouldn't it be nice if, if we were more like that list than how we actually are now? Um, the big question is, how do we do that? How can we grow uh, in those areas? And so that's what, that's what we're talking about. That's what this series is going to be about. Um, you know, and then the, the, the question about how do we grow in something It's not all that familiar to us because in our consumer kind of based market, um, the 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 economy we're in, we're not doing a lot of growing. We're not growing our own food and and we're not involved in much of the process of creating the things that we buy. We just go and buy food and we go and buy products. Um, But it turns out that the most important parts of life are more like farming than fast food. You see, there's a process that we need to understand and appreciate and get involved in for things to happen in our lives. And that takes time. It takes the right kind of effort and it takes the right kind of uh, nutrients in the soil, if you will, uh, for these fruits of the spirit to grow. So we're going to talk about that. And today we're going to talk about the first fruit on the list. It's first on the list. Um, because it's actually first on everyone's list, uh, usually. It's, it's what the vast majority of our songs are about, and our stories, and our movies. Um, we're talking about love. Love is what brings uh, sometimes the greatest joy in life. It can also sometimes bring the deepest hurt in life as well. And as you might expect, like I said, in, in our economy, consumer-driven, uh, we, we want to think that love just happens. It just appears um, just like uh, like we can go to the store and, and buy fruit and it appears on our table. Um, in fact, uh, we, we even have verbiage about love, you know, like we fall into it. It just happens or we might fall out of it. And that just happened. Um, or we click with somebody or we don't click with somebody. So we talk about love in this way, but it's actually um Not like that at all. God says it's a fruit of his spirit. In fact, it's an essential component of the rest of the fruits of the spirit. Um, And that's why we're starting with this. That's why that's first on the list as well. You see, because love is like fructose. If you remember, fructose is a sugar found especially in fruit, but it's not found in, in only one fruit. It's found in most fruits. It's what makes fruit sweet. And so, like any fruit, love requires the right kind of soil um, in which to grow. And those components of that soil are what we're going to look at today. The question is, how do we grow love in our lives? Um, and so, we're gonna, uh, we could look at the whole Bible. The whole Bible is full of um, talking about love, examples of love. God himself, we know, is love. And so there's so much in, in the scriptures about this topic. Today we're going to focus in on 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 5. It is a great, um, short and sweet statement 
about how do we grow love in our lives. And so first, let me tell you about this letter. First Timothy is a letter. It's from a man named Paul to another man named Timothy, who's younger. Um, He's a new pastor uh, and he's Paul is trying to help him be a great pastor to know how to do God's work and live God's way as he leads God's people. And so here's the right at the start of the letter. First Timothy one verse five. Paul writes this. The goal of this command is love. Okay, pause. Everything Paul is is encompassing his whole letter is saying the goal is love and keep going, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul is telling Timothy, um, you need to love. The goal here is love. And Paul is going to go on to say, as a leader uh, of your church, leading people, um, just being in relationship and close proximity with people, um, that they're going to accuse you sometimes of not loving them. Um, but we need to understand where love comes from, how love grows. It, just, it doesn't just show up in our lives. Paul gives some instruction. Here's where it comes from. And so let's look at these three things. For love to grow, here's what you need. Number one, a pure heart. Love grows when our agenda in the relationship is not selfish. Now, the kind of purity here, when we say a pure heart, it doesn't mean perfection, okay? Our hearts are not perfect, but it's a purity of the motives of our heart. A pure heart of love has a singular desire to help another person. Um, And here's the key, with no strings attached. But right out of the gate, we can see the challenge uh, with a pure heart. How in the world are we going to navigate all of the motives that are in our heart, let alone purify them? You see, our hearts, when we say our heart, we're referring to the real you, the, the, the deep in, inner you, where decisions are made, where thoughts um, are thought of, where emotions happen. Um, and it really is a great hiding spot for the real motives that drive what we do. Um, regardless of what we present on the outside, there could be something else going on in our heart. And so we're talking about how do we grow love in our lives? And it happens in the context of relationships. In fact, if we had no relationships, we would be we would be great at loving because we'd only be loving ourselves, which comes very naturally to us. But because life is in the context of relationships, uh, we we need to work at this. The hidden agendas Um, And the mixed motives that happen in our heart do damage in our relationships. Um, The the hidden motives and agendas can use the relationship to get what we want. This is called being double-minded. Because we might be saying one thing, I care for you, or I want to help you. But inside, uh, another motive may be, but I expect something in return. And maybe you've experienced this. Somebody has uh, reached out to you and expressed Uh, care or love and then you say you realize you kind of wait a minute every time I hear from them it turns out they wanted something in return Um, and sometimes we can be guilty of the same thing as well the test in that situation is is for for the one person to say no no thanks Um, I don't need your help today or or whatever Um, and what happens is if they get angry it reveals there was actually a hidden agenda here 
It was never real love, like I said. There, it was actually a hidden deal that they had. But love isn't a deal. It's a gift that we give freely. It's not an exchange of things. And now it's okay to ask someone to help you. Don't feel, you know, uh, like you're mixed just because you asked um, if you could help or you asked for help. But it can't be a condition of the relationship. There can be no strings or a deal attached. Now, if your heart is pure and they say no, then it has no negative impact on the relationship. That's what a pure heart can do. Um, in this verse, Paul is warning, warning Timothy um, about what's going to happen when he says no to, to some people in their relationships. As he leads, as he pastors them, he may have to say no to them. And what's going to happen is they may think he doesn't love me because he said no. Um, but that's the oldest trick in the book. In fact, uh, if you go back uh, to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 3, we see uh, where Satan used that exact trick on Adam and Eve. You see, God had, had said many yeses to Adam and Eve. We don't even know how many yeses there were. Yes, you can live here. Yes, you can uh, name all the animals. Yes, you're in charge here. Um, but he only said one no. He said, you may not eat of the fruit on this one tree. But that's the one no uh, that Satan used uh, to deceive Adam and Eve. You see, um, Satan said, because God told you no, he doesn't really love you. Uh, he's not really for your good. And so they believed that lie. They believed that lie about God and that lie about love. And that's warped our understanding of love ever since. Adam and Eve and all the descendants, which includes us, have a warped view. We've heard it this way. If you love me, you will fill in the blank, dot, dot, dot. But that's not what love is. We've, we've made love more of a deal sometimes in our hearts. It's a deal to be struck rather than a commitment um, that's given freely. And that, that has made love very unstable. And so how do we work towards this idea? Paul says we need a pure heart. How do we work towards that and having pure motives? Well, purity in relationships, it, it really begins where the water first gets muddied, meaning it begins with our relationship with God. It'll be impossible to have a pure heart towards others in relationships if we don't first work on developing a pure heart towards God. And what this means is we need to tear up all the deals that we've made in our heart with God. Now, you might ask um, or think, I, I haven't made a deal with God in my heart. But let me give you an example from my own life and, and how this works. Um, because sometimes we don't even realize we have made a deal with God. And by the way, making a deal with God is a bad idea. When we make a deal with God, we're elevating ourselves to his level. Um, because in a deal, it's two people have something that the other person wants or needs. And that's not the case. We don't have anything that God wants or needs. And so when we make a deal with God, we're actually giving him, we're, we're sending out the invitation for us to be humbled. And that's neither a gradual or, or a comfortable descent. And so here's an example from my own life. And as you know, our church has been in the process. We've purchased land. We're in the process of developing it. Among other things, this requires a lot of money for the church. 
And um, because of my role on staff, I could see this from a mile away. I'm really involved in in that purchase and now in the development of our future home. And I knew we're going to need money. And I knew that the church was going to bring this to uh, the church family. Uh, We were going to make this is a group effort. Um, And so my wife and I talked about it. And early on, we gave a financial gift to help the effort here. We really do believe that it's a good investment, that it's an investment in eternity as we give to God's purposes here at this church. And so if you would have asked me that day that I wrote the check, I would have said I have nothing but pure motives in my heart. Again, we really do believe it's a good investment. But I would have also said, and I have pure motives. But a couple months later, I was tested on that. So after giving a a financial gift, um, I was tested when the whole air conditioning and HVAC system in our house completely died. I don't hope that that ever happens to you at your house. But um, it wasn't until that happened that I realized I did sort of have a deal going on in my heart with God. I thought it it worked like this, that I make a sacrifice and give a gift uh, to him and in his purposes. And then he kind of smooths out the road ahead of me, especially financially. And maybe even there's going to be reward along the way for that. But that's that's not what happened. Um, My air conditioner unit died and in the proximity to us giving that gift really May it confused me. How could that be? I was a little confused. I actually sort of felt a little ripped off. But what happened was God saw the deal that I had written in my heart and he set out to make sure that it didn't work. Even though I thought my motive was pure, um, it ended up that it wasn't. And so um, what's your deal? What, what are the deals you've made with God or with other people? And it's hard to pinpoint. I I didn't realize this until later as I reflected on my story. But it's hard to pinpoint sometimes. So here's some questions that may help you. Where are you angry? Where are you upset? Um, And with whom and why? Now, anger is a good indicator of a deal that's gone south. And so what we're saying is uh, regarding having a pure heart is that the opportunity to purify your heart, it actually comes when conflict occurs. It, conflict is, an, is a sign of an agenda collision. And this is the point where there there's, may be no upside in the relationship. But if we endure, if we choose the agenda of real love, um, our hearts are purified. Trust is built and love can grow. The second uh, component needed to grow uh, love is a good conscience. So so let's look at this. A good conscience. Uh, love can grow when we're willing to admit our sin. So when I think of conscience, I instantly think of Jiminy Cricket. He's, a, he's the little character that's Pinocchio's conscience. He's appointed to be Pinocchio's conscience. And he's famous for singing that that song, Always Let Your Conscience Be Your Guide. Now, this is not what Paul is saying, but I thought I'd start with Jiminy Cricket um, to to start to understand this idea. Um, If a pure heart means no hidden agenda, then a good conscience means no hidden lives. Okay, and if conflict, like we just said, is an indicator of a double mind, then conscience can be an indicator of a double life. 
Now, here's, here's what happens. We feel guilt. We've all felt guilt. And we feel this whenever we've agreed upon a set standard uh, with, you know, within a relationship. Um, but then it turns out uh, we've lived by a different standard. And at the point of guilt, we can do one of two things. We can, uh, we can bring it into the light. We can confess the wrongdoing. Or we can hide it in the dark. And then we can start to defend ourselves. Um, And now in the case of Pinocchio, his nose is famous for revealing how he handled his guilt. He lied, he hid, and his nose grew. Um, But as with a pure heart, a good conscience begins with our relationship with God. So let's understand, how do we have a good conscience in our relationship with God? Look at 1 John 1, 5 through 7. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, walking in the dark is a relationship killer. It doesn't foster love in our lives. But walking in light is a relationship builder. Why is that? Well, you see, the bonds between people are formed when we agree upon a standard um, and we do them. That's the basis of trust. But if you confess you were wrong um, to somebody, then you're pointing to that standard and saying, that was our standard and I was wrong. You're pointing actually to something bigger than the relationship itself. And we tend to think of conscience as independent, as our own guilt meter, if you will. Like we have our own Jiminy Cricket or our own angel on our shoulder and little devil telling us what we should do. But conscience is not independent in that way. Actually, the word itself makes that clear. The first part of the word, con, it's from a Latin, it's from the Latin meaning together. And then the the second part of conscience is science, and from the root siri, which means to know. And so that, by the way, that's why Apple's uh, feature that you ask questions and it tells you things is called siri. It means to know. So we're created to know what is right and wrong together. Con, science, conscience. We're, we don't create our own versions of, of truth, and you know we hear that. There is no your truth and my truth any more than there's your math and my math. There is just truth, and there's just math. Either we're right or we're wrong. And that's the basis, not only of science, but of conscience. So when we ask someone to forgive us, we're, we're both looking at the same uh, standard of what's right and wrong, and we're agreeing with them that what we did was wrong. When we do that, that actually builds trust as we admit wrongdoing. And the opportunity to build trust is right there. It's, it's in the challenging times of wrongdoing. But whenever we sin, I mean, for me, my tendency is to fight my conscience. I don't want to bring it into the light and confess. I don't want people to know what I've done. I want to defend myself. I'd rather hide in the shadows. And we all do this. And this is critical to understand. Why do we do that? It's because we think that love comes from a pure life. But it's not, it's not that. Love comes from a pure heart. 
and a good conscience. So we think that by admitting when we're wrong or where we fall short, that people are not going to love us. However, it's as we admit the truth about ourselves and as we step into the light, two things happen according to that verse. Number one, we have fellowship with God. That's an amazing thing to have fellowship with God. Number two, we can have fellowship with others. So what this means is having a good conscious conscience. Four of the most loving words that we can say are, will you forgive me? That's some of the most loving stuff that we can do. Will you forgive me? And then we state what the wrongdoing was. Paul said, love grows out of a good conscience. But also the third thing, love grows from a sincere faith. So love grows best with the safety net of faith under it. And I love this picture. And this one is, this is a good one. God loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now God can do that. He's big enough to love the world. Um, But you and I can't. The world is too big. We can't practically love the whole world the way God can. We can feel emotions at a distance for things around the world, but we can't love at a global scale. And that's why Jesus told us to love our neighbors. We just spent uh, a previous message series on on this topic. So I encourage you to listen to that and where we flesh this out. But Jesus said, love your neighbors, not the whole world. In order to love our neighbors, that means we have to be kind of in close proximity. We have to be doing life together. And those become channels of love that we can pour out love. However, this is, you know, think about this. Whenever we give freely to someone, we're kind of like placing a weapon in their hand. Whenever we get close enough to people and we open up a channel where we're pouring out love, it's actually opening ourselves up uh, to also be hurt. We're taking a risk to love people. That's why a lot of people um, reserve love and and reserve the number of relationships they get involved in. Because we don't want to be open to getting hurt by people. But the truth is, um, like you and me, people aren't perfect. The truth is we can get hurt as we Live in close proximity and be neighbors and be friends. People have, like we established, hidden agendas, hidden motives. No one has a pristine conscience. And so they might, again, they may not even know that they're hurting or or intending to hurt. So why would we love anybody or trust anybody? Well, I think, let's use this example. It's for the same reason that a trapeze artist grabs the bar and swings out into the air. In fact, um, they don't just swing. They, they let go and flip and, and, and catch the next guy on the other bar. They're not planning to fall, but if they do, they know that there's a big net underneath them to catch. So they, they can take the risk. And it's the same picture when we decide to love. We need something, actually it's somebody, um, bigger than us to trust as we set out to love other people. We need a reason to take the risk. No one wants to take the risk and get hurt, but if there's a net beneath us, then we can take that risk. And the net is this. It's God's love for us. That's the foundation of our love for other people. So, so check out Ephesians three seventeen through 19. Paul writes to this group in Ephesus, 
I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Notice how that verse begins. Now that you are rooted and established in love, that's the foundation, the roots of the tree. When we put love for God back at the center where he belongs, we can be established. The tree can be strong. The next thing that needs to happen is we need to grasp how much God loves us. His love for you needs to take hold of you. It needs to expand in you. His love uh, needs to It's a fact that we need to know, but more than that, it's a fact of knowing that needs to surpass understanding or surpass knowledge. What does that mean? It means that God's love can't just be something that's true that we read. It needs to become real to us. It's not something that we just know, but something that is real in our lives. And so what's the difference of a of a thought in your mind versus reality? The difference is experience. You know, it's one thing in your to know something in your mind, but it's another thing to do it. For example, a house project. I love doing house projects and, and I can sit on the couch and conceptualize the project start to finish. Uh, I, I enjoy doing this. I can figure out what tools do I need? What where will the cuts need to be and, and how do I finish it? But. That's different. Sitting on the couch and conceptualizing something is different than actually doing it. Um, it's in the middle of experiencing the project that I that I realize this is hard work, or um, or I forgot I, I didn't actually think of that part of this project I need to do, or I should have bought knee pads because my knees hurt, or it's always more expensive than I thought it was going to be. So. Knowing how to do a project is much different than the reality of doing it. Just like knowing about God's love is much different than experiencing God's love. Experience leaves a deeper knowledge, a deeper mark in our lives. Thoughts are invisible, but reality is three-dimensional. Reality has width and length and height and depth to it. And God's love isn't something we can just read about. We want to experience it. Now, let's use this as an example. Let's say, um, you know, you, your understanding of, of God's love for you is about three feet wide, like this wide. So the question we're asking is, how do I expand that? How do I move from three feet to four feet wide? How do I expand my and experience God's love? And if we want to take it beyond three feet, what, ha- what it is, is, is it takes us to places of pain and struggle and failure. That is the space where God will display his love for you um, more and more. You're going to need to grasp that the love God has for you is actually the only sure thing you have in your life. And as we grasp that, what happens? Look at the verse. We get filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. As we move through life and the pains and the challenges happen, as the failures occur and God is still there, 
and we receive his love and experience his love, we get filled up. You know, imagine your heart is like this jar. Um, these jars have uh, marks on the side. It's, you know, uh, quarter, half, three quarter, all the way full. Um, and so what happens is if your heart reads all the way full, if your heart reads all the fullness of God, what happens next as we experience God's love? It spills out. There's overflow. The love that God has poured into you enables our genuine love to be poured out to other people. So we've got that as our net beneath us. That's the reason we can take the risk. That's how we can love people um, and, and genuinely pouring out. Now, let me just wrap up you know, this idea of growing love. If God wanted us to be nice, that would be a stretch in some you know, relationships we have, but, but it's possible. We can be nice, but God's not after just niceness. He wants us to love. He wants us to actually inconvenience ourselves for the sake of other people, for their benefit. Only the Holy Spirit can grow that sweetness, that kind of sweet fruit in our lives. And uh, we're not just passive observers in this process. We're in it. Our part in the process is to purify our hearts by tearing up the deals that we've made with God and with others as we become aware of them. But we also need to keep our conscience clear, admitting when we're wrong. And that what we do, it was wrong. We need to ask for forgiveness. And then we need to anchor our love towards others with a sincere faith in the foundation of God's love for us. Sincere, um, sincere faith is, is not sincere emotions. Sincere emotions only last uh, for a while, but sincere faith endures. And so... I, I challenge you to consider which of these three um, elements could you work on today, this week? A clear uh, heart, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Let me pray as we close. <clears throat> God, I, I ask for your help. Um, this, this scripture is helpful, God, but we need help doing these things. Um, we're so grateful beyond words that your love for us, the way you've demonstrated your love for us. Um, you've showed us patience. You've showed us kindness and mercy. Um, God, I pray that we would, um, that, that your love for us would be the foundation of our love for others. And I, I pray for all those right now who are feeling alone, who are feeling wounded. Um, God, and I echo Paul's prayer that we would be rooted in your love, that we would grasp today all of the dimensions of your love for us, God. I pray that you would fill the hearts of those feeling wounded and alone with the fullness of you. God, I pray that you would teach us to love. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. 